0: Over the last few years especially, there has been a huge conversation about the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion as part of building more diverse, more equitable, more inclusive cultures in the world of work. But as small business owners, how does that apply to us? How do we apply those concepts and make sure That we are actually cultivating a sense of belonging within our small business team. Well, today I'm so excited to dive into this topic with Mia Henry of Freedom Lifted. Let's get into it. Are you ready to grow from stressed out solopreneur to confident CEO? You're in the right place. I'm your host, Rachel Cook. And I've spent more than 15 years helping women entrepreneurs sustainably scale their businesses. If you're serious about building a sustainable business, it's time to put the strategy systems and support in place to make it happen. Join me every week for candid conversations about stepping into your role as CEO, the hard lessons learned along the way, and practical profitable strategies to grow a sustainable business without the hustle and burnout. Hey there CEOs, I hope you listened to last week's episode because it was the very first one to kick off this mini-series about how we can build incredible, impactful, inclusive cultures within our small businesses. There is so much talk about the tactical part of building a team, like how do you write your job description? How do you find people? How do you hire them? How do you onboard How do you use your project management system to make sure everybody's doing what they need to do? But I wanted to really elevate this conversation and bring in some more of the deeper nuance that really goes into how do we just build incredible teams? How do we build real cultures in our small businesses that people want to be a part of? Because when we're doing this intentionally, there's a huge win for us as the business owner Right? We end up with these incredible team members who do amazing work, who really take great care of our clients, of our community, and for them, they feel valued, they feel respected, they feel well compensated, they truly feel like this is a place that they want to be. And that's what culture is, right? It's how do we make sure we are building a place, a place where people come together and do the work that we do and everyone wants to be a part of it. They want to stick around. They want to stay with us for a long time. That's something that's happened both organically and intentionally behind the scenes here at my business. Most of the people on my team have worked with me for years and years and years. In fact, I would say... Amber's worked with me the longest since 2011. And Mary, who just joined us, just had her first year anniversary at the time that I'm recording this. So a lot of the people on my team have stayed for years. And people are always surprised by that. They're always surprised how I keep people so long and how everybody seems to want to continue to grow with the CEO collective. And this is part of it. This conversation is a part of, yes, some of the organic, but also a lot of the intentional pieces, a lot of the intentionality behind creating a culture that people want to be a part of. Today, I am continuing the conversation with Mia Henry. She is the founder and CEO of Freedom Lifted, which supports justice-centered leadership development through online learning, training, and coaching. Through her unique approach, Mia has created educational spaces and practical tools to foster just ethical leadership for hundreds of private, public, and nonprofit organizations. In addition to pioneering innovative work through Freedom Lifted, Mia has deep experience in organizations committed to promoting justice and equity, previously serving as the executive director of the Arcus Center for Social Justice Leadership at Kalamazoo College and founding director of the Chicago Freedom School. Mia's also been a member of the CEO Collective. She just completed her first full year with us. And each time a new person joins the CEO Collective, one of the first things I love to do is do a deep dive into their work, to really pay attention to all the content that they're putting out there, all the conversations they're having. And there was a conversation that Mia started that made me actually kind of pause and stop for a moment where she talked about the importance of power for all. And the conversation that we're about to have today really is about this shift, this paradigm shift, huge paradigm shift happening right now where instead of leadership being about top down, you know, where you as the CEO are like the top of this pyramid and just dictating to everybody below every single thing. Instead, this is a much more, I don't know, like flat horizontal structure (laughs) where everyone shares in the leadership. Everyone brings value and is appreciated for the value that they bring. Everyone is allowed and respected for their point of view. And this conversation goes so much deeper today, but If you are starting to grow a team and you have been feeling a little bit of this kind of like friction between maybe your previous work experiences, your previous understanding of leadership or management, and the type of business you know you really want to build, we have to have these deeper, more nuanced conversations So I'm so excited to have Mia today and share with you her insights and how we can build more equitable, more diverse, more inclusive cultures that actually truly are a win-win for every single person involved in your business. All right, everyone. I am so excited. Mia Henry is here with me today. Mia, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Rachel.
0: Well, I absolutely wanted to have you as part of this conversation because the world of work is changing fast right now. We are just seeing a lot of conversation in the like larger zeitgeist about how people are tired of the way work has been done, leadership styles of the past are no longer working, and mm-hmm. the people who are the ones doing the work are actively... Wanting to take back some of the power that has been taken from them. And as an expert who works in diversity and inclusion and equity, I wanted to make sure to have this perspective in the conversation because I think a lot of people maybe don't understand what that work actually is. So can you share a little bit from your perspective about why diversity, equity, and inclusion work is just so important within the culture of a company?
1: Sure, you know it's it's a little difficult for me to completely identify as a DEI um, person or consultant. I've never, I consider myself as part. I think of that field, but I'm 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 kind of that outlier. I'm the one who's kind of constantly giving loving criticism (laughs) to it, and I never felt like I was doing the work in this way that's defined often by corporations, right? Mm-hmm. So I come at it from this space of really wanting people to anchor their, their organizations in justice work. And even organizations that are doing social justice work, or they're doing um, social movement campaigns, right? They have Often a great analysis of power in externally and how they want to build power and change the world, but they still struggle with how they understand and relate to one another within their organizations. Yeah. So I came really into the work doing a lot of talks with organizations that already had maybe, you know, they were fully staffed with people of color or people from other marginalized identities. Um, they really understood anti-racism and they understand, you know, ableism and all of the, all of what needs to change in the world to achieve equity. And they were still having problems <laughs> with how they related to one another within. So for me, I, I, found that sharing a framework around the connection between our identities and um, how we relate to power, identity and power, right? Mm -hmm. And then talking about oppression, um, how it can show up in a world, but how it also shows up in our relationships and even how we can internalize it, right? Um, And then talking about what I call what liberation work is, right? Which is with the power analysis is bringing more power to more people, Right. Um, Regardless of how they identify that framework of connecting identity, power, oppression and liberation is how I began uh, doing training work. And it was very much influenced by the tours that I took previously. So my company is called Freedom Lifted and we started it doing civil rights tours to Alabama, where I'm from, and to Mississippi and Memphis. And I really wanted to have stories from history, stories from that history, be able to inform how we build power today. And I was very fascinated by the conflict that would wow. happen in the civil rights movement and in other social movements, right? The the struggles that people had within, right? Um, we know that there was homophobia and misogyny, you know, certainly present in the modern civil rights movement. We know that there's racist threads in the women's movement, right? And racist threads in even the gay rights movement. So, what what is it? What was happening, you know, where people are actually actively building power to bring more justice in the world, but yet they were still struggling with power struggles within their movements. And so that's really what I um how I approach the work is we use a historical lens and we use a power analysis to think about what does it look like to build more just organizations, not just what organizations are doing again in the world, but how they operate um, yeah. and how they they relate. The people who lead them relate to one another.
0: And this is such an interesting conversation. And as a fellow history nerd, I love that you take this historical lens because historically, power has always been very concentrated at the top and it's like people are afraid to share it they're afraid that if too many people get hold of it then you know all hell's going to break loose and everyone will just be unhinged or something but that's that's not what justice work does right it's not about just give everybody the power and then no one's in charge and it's just complete chaos which is what I think these select few in power really fear. They fear that there's retaliation or mm-hmm. something if if more people have access to power. So when you're talking about bringing this into organizations where there's more shared power, what does that look like within an organization and within you know the dynamics of teams working together or management working with people instead of you know, controlling everything that they do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What happens often when people are thinking about power is they're thinking about how power has been used against them (laughs) or has been used to oppress, right? Which is to restrict power from others. So I like to back up a little bit before we even start talking about shared power to define what social power is. What is it? you know and that's that's one of the first questions i ask any group that i'm working with or in any training that i'm doing what do we have when we have social power so often the responses and i usually give the one one example i'll say resources right and i put a dollar sign where the s is because money <laughs> obviously yep. is a resource and in any society where you need money in order to survive money is a resource um money is power but there are also other resources like you know land and space and there's so many other different types of resources but we're not going to leave money out of it. So I start with that. And then, you know, people say, well when we have power, we have voice, right? We are heard. If we have power, we are seen. We have visibility, right? When we have power, we have choices. We have self-determination and we have safety, right? We're safe both physically and psychologically. And you know, psychological safety is a big at Amy Edmondson, I believe, um, is really leading the work on psychological safety in the workplace. And there's some other scholars thinking specifically about psychological safety for Black women and other marginalized identities in the workplace. But that that really is also about power. How are we bringing more power to more people? So that's how I define social power. Mm -hmm. We have resources, we're seen, we're heard, and we're safe.
0: That There's nothing wrong
1: with those things.
0: No, that feels total, the way you just laid that out, first of all, I love that because it makes it very clear because again, I think a lot of people, when they hear the word power, like you said, they're thinking of how they were oppressed or how power has been used against them or to control them. And this definition makes so much sense because when we don't have access to those resources, (laughs) when we don't have access to that psychological safety or being seen or being heard, we do feel we're completely powerless, right? We yeah. aren't able to ever get to the point of like the whole Maslow's hierarchy of need of self-actualization because we're we're not even included in that pyramid. Right.
1: Exactly. And that's that's where people feel more comfortable talking about power after we've been able to define it as something that everyone not only, you know, deserves, but can have. So I always say the belief in justice work is a belief in seeing power as abundant, that it's actually possible for everyone to have resources, voice, visibility, and safety, right? Regardless of how they identify. And that's how I define equity as well. I define equity as we are detaching identity Mm -hmm. from power. So racial equity means that race is no longer an indicator of power for me. Gender equity means gender is no longer an indicator of power. It is no longer how we identify. It no longer mm-hmm. uh, is the reason why we might have resources, voice, visibility, and safety, right? Or not, Right. So if we back up and just define power as that, then think about how do we bring power to our processes of hiring? How do we bring power to our processes of how do we share power in our processes of performance assessment or even how we conduct meetings, right? Mm. How do we make sure everyone is seen, everyone is heard, everyone has the resources that they need in order to do their job well? Right, so that doesn't mean that everyone has all the same resources. <laughs> um, but how do they have what they need in order to do their job well? And of course, does everyone feel safe? Right, mm-hmm. physically, of course, that's a non-negotiable. But also psychologically, right? How do people yeah. feel like they can be vulnerable? They can contribute without being, you know, shot down. That they um, yeah. are absolutely protected by the people that they work with. Right and how they show up at work, right? And they're not going to be attacked, right? Yeah. Um, For speaking a certain way or walking a certain way or undervalued or devalued based on identity or identity markers. So Mm -hmm. those are the things that we, I'm telling everyone that that's the the lens, right? And this, (laughs) to me, this
0: this changes the whole understanding of this conversation for me so much because my first thought is, It takes somebody who's done some of their own inner work, who is emotionally mature (laughs) and is honestly, like if you're in this situation, I'm a white woman, right? Like I have a lot of privilege in a lot of rooms and a lot of spaces. That means I've got to be comfortable with the discomfort of making space and holding that space and respecting that space for other people. In a room where I might be on both sides, right? like there I might be in a room full of men where I'm the one at the disadvantage, or I might be in a room full of, you know, women from a marginalized background, black women, indigenous women, et cetera. And it's really interesting to think about this because I think in t- in traditional work environments, not everybody is ready for this conversation. There's like, what is the groundwork that has to start? like if you're working in an organization or you're wanting to build an organization where there is this new lens of everyone has access to this power, everyone is using their power collectively to move towards whatever the goals are. How do we make sure that we're ready for that? Because it, it feels like I mean, this is an uncomfortable process thinking through all the organizations I was a part of before starting my business. This was a huge reason why I left those organizations. It was because Mm. it was not psychologically safe. There was an imbalance of power. Very much, if you're a woman, when I was in corporate, I was one woman in an office of 50 men where it wasn't just psychologically feeling unsafe. It was sometimes physically feeling unsafe. So how do we Mm. start these conversations or can we start, is this a conversation that can be started from within or I don't know, it feels like this is just such a big thing to tackle. (laughs) How do organizations come to you when they think they're ready to do this work? How do they know they're ready to do this work?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, So that's two, two questions I'm hearing. And first of all, I want to thank you for even sharing, you know, your past experiences work and the discomfort that you felt either because power is being used against you or being challenged on maybe the power that you held because of privilege. So thank you for that. Um, I think you demonstrate what uh, is necessary for people to be ready for the work is honesty and vulnerability and willing to really reflect on their own experiences. And I find that using power as a prompt for reflecting on our own experiences is actually much more effective than using privilege as a prompt, which mm-hmm. is what I think is one of the um one of the weaknesses of some of, of, of a lot of the DEI work that I've seen um, is that we move to privilege. We see power um, is only is privilege is be is the only vehicle to power.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we do start with looking at our multiple identities, right? One of the the key activities that I have people do, and people can do this for free on my website, it's called the Power Flower, um, where they actually have to name or put language to how they identify um, according yeah. to multiple identities, race, disability, gender, sexual orientation, age, yeah. geographic location, and there's some blanks in there they can put in um, body size, military record, immigration status, right? So there are all these these identity markers, and people put their language to that. We start yeah. there, but we we don't end there. We talk about, well, what do we think about the most and what do we think about the least? Of those identities. And normally, what we think about the most or is where we lack power because we have yeah. to be thinking about those parts of our identity. So you might be thinking, Rachel, more about your gender, right? Yeah. Then you're thinking about your race on a regular basis, like on a, your daily sure. decisions or how you walk into work, right? I would be thinking about, I'm, I identify as a Black cisgendered woman who is heterosexual, right? Um, and, a, and an American citizen. So I never think about my citizenship. I never think about, my um, sexual orientation. I think about my gender uh, often. I think about being a cisgendered woman, never. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think about being a woman often. So I'm not thinking about my, you know, I have both kind of the privilege to not have to think about being cisgendered. Right. Yeah. And I think about race quite often. I'd never think about disability because I identify as a person without disabilities. So we take this this time to just have people reflect on how they even understand their identities in the world. And that being um, a window to where they may have privilege because we don't usually think about where the world is set up for us. Yeah, right? where we're not going to be where we have power, where we have resources yeah. and voice visibility and safety. We don't have to think about those parts of our identity, but we do have to think about parts of our identity that compromise our power. But that's not where it ends. We can also it's not just privilege. Mm-hmm. Right which is unearned benefits that brings us power. We can also build power, which was, I was talking about earlier with social yeah. movements. We can build power. We can get positional power, particularly in our workplaces, right? Which is based on the level of responsibilities that we have and the hierarchy of the organization. We can be given or granted or earned that positional power, right? So there's multiple ways to get those resources, voice visibility and safety. It's not just privilege. Yeah. It's part of the conversation, but it's not the whole conversation. And that is why we see some issues when people do have maybe identities that have been historically oppressed, but then they get this positional power. And because they have experienced oppression in the past, they don't even feel like they deserve that power, right? People talk about it as imposter syndrome mm-hmm. um, or even having those positions of power. Other people are not giving them the respect they deserve. Right, because of the intersection between the privilege or the lack of privilege and the positions they held. So it can it's complicated and nuanced, but there is a it's important for people to understand the difference between what power is and how we can acquire it. And privilege is not the only way, regardless of how we acquire it, though. And I see you do this in your work all the time, Rachel, right? Just even by noting and identifying where you have privilege mm-hmm. right and what your responsibility is to reach out and to bring more power to people who don't have those privileged identities right that's using our power what I call using our power for liberation work using our f- power to work for justice regardless of how we we gain power yeah we have a choice on how we use it so mm-hmm. having privilege is not bad what are you going to do with it yeah.
0: You have <laughs> you know, it because you I, have it. Right?
1: You have it. So, yeah. you know, get over it and you figure out how you're going to use it. Right. Like, yeah. how are you using? Are you going to use it to hoard power? Right. Yeah. Which is where we see unjust practices in both our organizations and our government and policies. Or are we going to use it to share power? Right. And think about how we're bringing, again, more power to more people and particularly addressing historical harms. Right.
0: So I hope that makes sense. I love this. I think it makes so much sense to me. And it makes sense. I think of, I'm thinking, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a small business owner, there's kind of two major stakeholders in my world, right? On one side, I have all of my clients and that's probably the more visible side. Like people see the work that you do. They see all your marketing, they see all your messaging, they might talk to your clients. So they're a group that, you know, when I'm thinking through this framework you just gave us about how are we helping them resource? How are we, are they seen? Are they heard? Are they psychologically safe? Like that's a very clear framework that I can work with on the client side to ask myself and have my team ask, are we providing these things? So they feel, you know, like they are able to be seen heard taken care of while they are within our care while they're a client that they are within my care. They're in my little, (laughs) my little bubble here. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then on the other side, there's the team. And this is the side that I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, there's a lot of bad habits I see coming from previous experiences traveling into new businesses. And so I'm extremely sensitive to this too, to making sure everyone on my team feels like they have power, they are seen, they are heard, they can come to me. We can have conversations, even if they are uncomfortable, even if you know, it's making me have to really dig deep and understand where somebody might be coming from. But those are the two like stakeholders that I think small businesses really need to consider because when it comes to conversations like this, unfortunately, I get a, this is a Rach rant slightly. I get really annoyed at the businesses that are using these conversations as almost like a marketing tactic. Mm. Like, look at us, we're doing all this great work and on the, you know- on the Instagram, it looks great, but then you go inside and you talk to their clients or you talk to their team and they're like, no, I was not seen or heard or felt like I could even share honestly and openly and vulnerably. Like that was not okay. That was shut down. And I think that's something really important because in large, organ, I knew I wasn't the person to change a large organization that was very sexist and misogynistic. I wasn't the person to change that. <laughs> It wasn't safe for me to be that person, but I think within these small businesses and that's who's listening is small business owners, entrepreneurs, this framework you just gave us, I think is just so powerful to think through how are we creating these spaces for our team and for our clients in our community? And how are we evaluating that on a regular basis? Because if we're not creating a dynamic where power is shared, then we're just perpetuating more harm, right? Like we're just continuing the bad cycles. And I don't think that's what anybody who's, who relates to me is wanting to do. We're wanting to build better businesses. We're wanting to do this work better. It doesn't matter if you like what kind of work you're doing. I think most of the women who are listening to anything I share, they want to do it better than what they have previously experienced.
1: Yes. So that requires unpacking what they previously experienced. They, re, you know, yeah. I I had to do that as well. With fortunately, I had been able to lead a couple of organizations, nonprofit organizations, and centers before starting my own business. So I had practice in um, in leading teams. I know that a lot of my peers in the small business world are have not led a team before, yeah. and they're in the position of having to build a team. And it really does take a moment to pause and think about what were the best environments that they worked in and mm-hmm. what were the elements of that and what does great leadership look like to them you know mm-hmm. um shared power and what i call just and ethical leadership right look like to them and what is really you know what has been spaces they've been in that have been super toxic and and where they didn't feel seen heard resourced or safe and what was happening there and making sure that they do not repeat the patterns of the toxicity but they are intentionally building teams uh, of people who are, I'm very fortunate to have teams of people who are smarter than me <laughs> in, in all yeah. the ways that I am not smart, which is important and humble and ready to be honest with one another through feedback. And, you know, there's that term steel, sharpen steel, right? Yeah. And so we want steel, you know, I want steel on my on my team. That does not mean people are coming in like super aggressive. It's actually kind of the opposite of they're assertive, but they're humble, and they see because our mission is also about bringing more power to more people. Yep, we understand that we're trying to prefigure that in our organization, in our business. You know, so we have to practice what we are teaching other people to be courageous and and adopting. We have to. Make sure that we are we every you know, everyone on my team just actually took my training yeah. <laughs> again and went through it and told me, you know, what's working and and what's still super relevant and how we can build and grow on pieces of it and what parts might we need to dust up or eliminate yeah. or, you know. And so that to me is so important because again, they went through the process that the client goes through in doing our training. And they said, okay, well, what is it that we need to do within in order to make this better both you know, this is how we felt taking the train. Yeah. These are the things we discovered about ourselves, yeah. Um, and then so what does it look like for us to make our client experience even better? I think that they're so they're yeah. so connected. They I came so connected to, and, and you can edit this. but I came to you and the CEO collective, um, after doing a little observation, <laughs> and And testing, because I had been part of a mastermind in the past, mm-hmm. Rachel, that was not as solid on the inside, and I unfortunately didn't know that until after I'd already signed up, and then I started asking more questions and finding out sure. about another person I wrote I read their book and I was going to join their thing, and then someone was like, people they can't keep anyone <laughs> working there because the leader's like a tyrant, and I was like, "Oh no." You know, yeah, so that's it really does matter. It will get out there
0: absolutely <laughs> if, if
1: if we if we are not really living our values within our organization, and I know you've had some great conversations with your coaches and others about the yeah. value based piece. I loved what Erica Corday has said about value based business, so you know that's so important. It's not just having the values though. It's living it's the value, living them.
0: And that's, I think this is the thing that I want more people to understand as small business owners. You know, we, this whole conversation I've, I'm sharing this month on the podcast is about how do we create these cultures in our companies and how culture is just, it really becomes so, so critically important. There's There's layers and layers to this conversation I could unpack, but I think one of the things I'm hearing right now is these are not meant to be like keywords that you slap on stuff. This is not like a a marketing tactic. And unfortunately, I I see a lot of people who don't understand this work takes time. It takes so much vulnerability. And I think it also takes getting the right people in the organization who it's not just that they've they believe what you believe right that you share values that they're all about your vision it truly is that they are invested in creating this thing bigger than just themselves or yourself it's it really is a collective thing this is why we use the word collective in the name yes, the ceo yes. collective because it truly is about bringing people together whether those are the people on my team or the people that we're working with And it just takes a lot of effort. And I think it reminds me of, you know, I've shared, I've gone through a lot of uh, trauma work and breaking generational trauma and cycles of generational trauma. It's very similar if you think Mm -hmm. about it like that. Like we are breaking cycles of power over types of leadership that have been modeled for us for the majority of the patriarchy and everything else. And We have to be willing to sit in that discomfort in order to break that cycle and start something new. And it does mean that we might backslide sometimes and find ourselves like saying something and then really being like, oh no, I should not have phrased it that way. Let me come back and actually apologize to this person and make it right and say, hey, what I just did there was not okay. I apologize. I'm sorry. I want to get back on the same page and let's move forward. This is work. This is hard. Like this is deep emotional work to lead in this new way. Because we don't have very many great models. Right. Most of us were not brought up in leadership roles that showed us how to do it.
1: Right. Right. It's very similar I feel like the workplace
0: workplace generational
1: workplace trauma. trauma. It's really, <laughs> It's very real and that that same work that we have to do to look back at our yeah. past and the very um, a painful work that can be in our personal lives. It's the same work that we need to do yeah. when we're looking back at our past work lives. So absolutely. And it's so interesting you bring up apologies because that's one of the pieces of homework for all of my clients. Yeah. Um, so I work with organizations, right? Staff, full staffs do my training. Yeah. And I asked everyone after our second training before our last one, after we've talked about oppression, right. And how power has been used, um, Against people and maybe even against us, where have we maybe used our power, right, to yeah. limit resources, to limit voice, to limit visibility? I've had to apologize to my children has been my homework, right, because I knew that I took power away from them in the way that I communicated with them, you know, I took the power of, of making yeah. decisions that they could make themselves. I took that power away from them. So I had to go back in and make an apology. And, you know, going back to generational trauma, people, my parents didn't apologize.
0: I know. I'm like, oh, so I'm still waiting. Wait kids.
1: <laughs> so I was like, this is revolutionary, you know? So, but this is, this is part of the work. That's why the, hum- the homework is like, whether it be small or big, yeah. If you need to make an apology before we come back together, I want you to to attempt to make that apology, and it may not be accepted, right? Yep.
0: And, and you have not, no control over that, right? You have all no you control, can do is control over control that. Yourself. That's um, all you can do, and it's. But it is.
1: It is the first step to repairing harm, and yep. so apologies are so critical to social justice work, Absolutely. and it has to happen over and over and over again.
0: You know? Yeah. Um, And it doesn't make you a weak leader to apologize, which I think old dynamics of leadership were very much if I am not as aggressive as possible and as strong as possible and have no chinks in my armor, then I'm not a strong leader. And I'm like, no, strong leaders are willing to sit in vulnerability and discomfort and be willing to be humble. Yeah and treat everyone with the same level of respect. It's not hierarchical anymore. And so I'm really loving this framework you've shared with us. I think this is so incredibly powerful, Mia, and I really encourage everyone go check out the power flower
1: because yeah. this is
0: such a cool <laughs> tool that you've created and it gives us so many different layers of context and nuance for this conversation for how are we really becoming better in our our own leadership as we're growing our business because all of everyone listening to this podcast wants to grow their business, wants to work with more clients, wants to have a bigger team to support them in that work and a huge part of your learning is the leadership component and i think this is the growth edge for a lot of us because the examples are a little harder to find. So I, as we wrap up, Mia, I would love to know thinking of examples of leaders who are, you know, leading from this new paradigm of power Ooh. with, of shared power. Who do you look up to and learn from when you are, you know, looking at leaders to model and to, you know, be your, your go-to voice when you're thinking of new ways of leadership?
1: I want to make sure I can say people. <laughs> But people would be okay with me naming them. I'm sure they would. I, you know, there's someone that I, we just interviewed on um, a podcast that we're launching on Shared Power, um, a mentor of mine, Deborah Harrington. And i loved. love, she led a foundation um, in Chicago for the longest time and was mm-hmm. one of the first in the country to really think about what um, how philanthropy can advance racial justice. And I watched the way that she um, gave feedback with compassion, right, yeah. was able to show how we could write our grants better and show how we could um, budget better because she was on our team, like she was in our corner, right. Yeah. So I love that she taught me how how we can um, cheerlead with love, but with also honesty. And I also learned from people that I used to work with. Um, when I do, did youth organizing of just how to bring power to everyone in the room. So just mm-hmm. even facilitating, sharing the facilitation of meetings, right? Rotating the facilitation yeah. of meetings or holding circles anytime that there was conflict. I always say there's like three, three main things we need to get clear in our organizations when we're sharing powers, how we communicate, mm-hmm. how we make decisions and how we navigate conflict. I was like, if we can figure out mm-hmm. ways that everyone in the room can be responsible for that. And I learned a lot of that working at the Chicago Freedom School and learning it from young people um, that we were we were set up to support their leadership. Yeah. But they pushed back on us <laughs> quite a bit because they said, you you care about our leadership, but you're not letting us lead. Right. Mm-hmm. How How can we be part of the board? How can we plan a program? How can we do these things? So. That to me was, um, again, the, that that loving pushback from people that we trust, right? Yeah. Building the trust, then we can constantly be challenging each other to do better, right? Sharpening each steel, you know. So, um, so yeah, I want to give it up to the young people from the Chicago Freedom School and my uh, mentor Deborah Harrington.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think I don't know if. I'm sure you see this. You also have kids about my kids' age, but I am very hopeful about the future with how smart these kids are. I could never imagine being the age like my children are now and standing up for stuff. Like that was not a thing (laughs) for me. (laughs) And now I'm watching these kids and they're fighting for what they believe in. And they are very outspoken and they are very on top of current issues and they care so much. I think that's one of the things that makes me hopeful as, you know, we're building businesses. I'm hoping these are the new businesses that these younger generations step into and they feel that sense of, you know, I'm here and I make a difference, even if yeah. I'm just getting started. Yeah. Well, that's what should give us, a, we should not only be encouraged yeah.
1: by them, but we should be we should re-up our own commitments to be a model for them because that is what they mm-hmm. they see. They see yep. you as as an outspoken business owner that's value driven, which gives them the models that some of us didn't have, you yeah. know, it, when we were when we were young. So that's why they're able to do it so young. We had talked Amazing. earlier about that driving analogy. Yeah. And I love that because we use a driving analogy for leadership when we worked with with youth. Um, mm-hmm. but now with anyone, when we want to teach others leadership, we teach one of the best lessons we teach is how people drive. We, as a society, we teach people how to drive. Yeah. It's everyone's responsibility. They have the class in the school. There are people in your family who are going to teach you. You know, it's a scaffolding experience. You know, yep. children watch their parents drive for years and years, and then one day they get a chance to get in the driver's seat, but the parent stays in the front seat and stays in a parking lot. Right? You just don't go get on the highway. <laughs> yeah. Right? You have all of these different scaffolding ways that we. Make sure that everyone can drive well, because we know that the entire society needs people who are able to drive well, so it's and it's all of our responsibility to teach that right yeah. so there's some and even the car itself has has evolved to make it more safe for driving, so businesses have made it their responsibility to create safer drivers, families make it their responsibilities, schools make it their responsibilities. To make everyone a safe driver because it it has everyone at this corner of it. But the first step is watching people drive, and that's what mm-hmm. your children are doing. They're watching you drive, yeah. and that that's how they will learn how to drive. So even when I'm feeling Rachel, like oh, I want to quit. I can't do this anymore. It's so hard. <laughs> I put on like a good face, <laughs> um, you know, for yeah. for our children, um, and yeah. for the Children in our village, in our lives, um, because I want them to see that, you know, it's possible, and, but we don't do it in isolation, no. right?
0: And this and, is another thing that we need to make more visible because when this work is more visible, when we're more openly sharing and talking about it and having, having the conversations out loud, you know, in public, these these yeah. are the conversations that I think start to drive and shift the larger culture of leadership, not just the internal culture in our companies and our businesses. But when we start having these conversations out loud, when we say these things in front of people, this is why I love having, I'm so excited you have a podcast coming because this is why I love having a podcast or sharing content is now we can have these conversations out loud and really let people see what it what it could possibly look like. So when is the podcast coming, Mia? September, I hope. (laughs)
1: <laughs> awesome. I cannot September wait. September 2023,
0: yeah. I cannot wait to learn even more because I just think you are so incredibly brilliant. As we start to wrap here, you know, you you have been part of the collective now for a year. I would like to ask you quickly, what has been your experience now that you are coming up on your 1-year anniversary in the collective? What has happened for Freedom Lifted and what has happened for your business since you started working with us?
1: Oh, well, since I started working with you, I mean, my, you know, this is not the only indicator, but it's a nice one. My revenue has increased a great deal. <laughs> I would say it's, it really love actually it. almost doubled um, since I started, and I, I learned how to plan better. I love our CEO dates. I love the methodology you teach around, you know, the value over the task that we have. Um, And where I should be spending my time, I always say that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned from the CEO Collective is how I spend my time is directly related to the impact and the success of the business. And so I I take the time I spend so seriously. (laughs) Now, not that I didn't before, but before I was just trying to do everything. Um, I just, I had my fingers in too many pots and I was not trusting people to help me. Um, as much as I did now. And yeah, I think that also being in the collective and being able to be in community with other really serious, focused, and humble women business leaders, and to be able to come in the mastermind and just be completely honest about how I'm feeling and where I'm Mm -hmm. at, I um, just felt very held and welcomed and I'm not alone. So going back to, you know, there's no yeah. There's no feeling powerful in isolation, you know. Even yeah. those who we think have all the power when they're lonely, they do not feel powerful. I promise you that. So that's what the the collective, you know, just by the community is uh gives us that ability to be seen and heard and valued and safe. Yeah. And so I'm so I'm so grateful for for the community you create, the methodology that you have, and the the feeling that I've had that I've been able to just like link arms, you know, with other yeah. people, other women who are trying to do cutting edge work, yeah, and battle our own, you know, demons in the <laughs> as we're building it, you know, trying to do this important work, but not but and grappling with the fears that are kind of part of the human condition, right?
0: Yeah. I love that you shared that. Thank you so much, Mia, because that is our intention is to create a space where you're seen, heard, and held, right? And you feel like you are in a room with other, like you said, steel sharpens steel. And there are times where you want to be open and vulnerable to your team or to your community or your clients. But also there's space, there's times where leaders need to get in a room with other leaders who actually understand what you're going through
1: (laughs) and what you're feeling.
0: And because they've all been there too. And I think that's one of the hardest parts of leadership of being the person starting and running and growing a business is while you do want to be open and vulnerable with your, all the people involved in it, sometimes you need to get yourself in a room full of people who are also really understand what you're going through. So it's been amazing to have you in the room and to have your brilliance and insight and support to all the other women in there as well. So thank you so much for sharing that, Mia.
1: Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for everything, truly.
0: Well, everyone can go to freedomlifted.com. Make sure you grab the power flower exercise and keep an ear out for Mia's upcoming podcast. What is it going to be called? It's the Shared Power Podcast. Shared Power (laughs) Podcast. Okay, (laughs) should be very simple to remember. And we will make sure to link all of those things up in the show notes for you. So thank you so much, Mia, for joining me today.
1: Oh, thank you, Rachel, for having me.